There's a, a verse in Hebrews that says, uh, Hebrews 12, 14, says no one will see the Lord without holiness. And uh, I, this might be a little uncomfortable uh, in saying this, but I'd, I'd like you to repeat this phrase after me if, if, if you trust Jesus. Uh, and it's, because of Jesus, I am holy. Think you can say that? It's, it's a little odd. It's not something we say every day. So here we go. Because of Jesus... Yeah, because of Jesus, yeah, yeah, because of Jesus, I am holy. Wow. That's, that's where we stand in Christ. And it's because of his sacrifice on the cross. You can have a seat. We're uh, back in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews again. And I'm pretty much landing in, in Hebrews 12 again. Can't get away from it, but um, I would like to read this verse from Hebrews 10 as we start. It's uh, Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the, the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. There's the invitation. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water, like that, that dress, the, the red, the blood of Christ being clothed in it. There is a strain of loneliness infecting many Christians which only the presence of God can cure. We'll say that again. There is a strain of loneliness infecting many Christians which only the presence of God can cure. It won't come from the perfect gel group. It won't come from finding the perfect friend or from having a thousand people liking you on Facebook. Instead, instead of those things, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. You know, you can have a marriage, a marriage relationship, a husband and wife bound by the covenant of marriage, but they cannot be in fellowship at times. You realize that? Maybe some of you have been married for a while. Have, there's been some moments where things have been a little disjointed, out of fellowship. You know, there's, there's a relationship of marriage. No one's leaving. No one's giving up. But, but there's no fellowship. There's no real open interaction, but instead avoidance. Maybe backs turned. No fellowship. So... You can be in that relationship. No one's, no one's going anywhere. No one's leaving. But be not in fellowship. In relationship, but not in fellowship. In the same way, I can be in the same room with, with someone I work with. We can be in the same room. Um, be in their presence in the same office space. But never fellowship with that person. Never converse with him. 
I can say I was in the presence of Jason on Tuesday. But did I ever converse with him or talk with him or have fellowship with him is a whole other thing. Maybe the same thing could be said of you and people in your space where you work. In the same way, the Israelites, they camped around the tabernacle of God. Wherever they went, wherever they traveled, uh, the tabernacle was in the center of their camp, and then they uh, camped in tribes around it. So, and, the, and God allowed His presence to dwell in the Holy of Holies, uh, a place in the center of that giant tent. And so His presence was there among the, the Israelites, but an Israelite could choose never to go in the tabernacle, the, the courts, and never be in the presence of God. You know, the difference in each of these examples, marriage or in the office or the Israelites camping, it's, it's the difference of presence and manifest presence. You know, evidence of His presence. And we know, we know theologically and we know from the Word of God that God is fully present everywhere. And that's, that's a blow-your-mind kind of thought. Just, just think about that for a little while and your brain will fry. The circuits will just blow. But there is a difference between God being present and God's face being manifest to His people. You see, God is a personality and you are a personality. So you can have personal interaction. The interaction between one personality and faith and love and conversation to speak and to be answered. You see, when, when God came down to the garden in the cool of the day, it wasn't a fellowship with the birds, the deer, or the flowers. He came to have fellowship with Adam and Eve. In Psalm 1611, it says, In your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. This is the joy of a worshiper of God that I don't want any of you to miss. But I think that there are some things that we might have to sort out. There's a significant advantage that, that you have today over the psalmist who wrote that so many years ago. The word presence, as it's used in, in Psalm 16 and other places in the Old Testament, is, is the same word used for face in the Old Testament. It's the same word when David speaks of seeking the face or presence of God. In Psalm 27, 8. David, when he, when he speaks of seeking the face of God, he speaks as a joyful worshiper. Yet at the same time, when we think about the tabernacle or later the temple of the Israelites, and that high priest of Israel when he walked into the tabernacle, into the very center, to the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God allowed his presence to dwell, when he walked into that tabernacle once a year, he would do it with his face averted. And as he carried a basin of blood into the most holy place, he said, Oh, presence, I ought to die. Oh, Shekinah. Oh, God, I ought to die, but I bring this blood as evidence that although I ought to die, 
another died for me. There is a mix of awe and fear with the high priest. David, he never walked into the most holy place. He couldn't go past that curtain leading to the mercy seat over the Ark of the Covenant that was there in the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go there. In fact, David, he couldn't even go into the holy place outside, outside of the most holy place. David could only go into the court where the sacrifices were made. Yet David, he longed to see God's face. He longed to see his face and he longed for the joy of being in his presence. Why did David pant for the presence of God, but the high priest trembled? Who had the right view of God's presence? They both did. They both did. The tabernacle is a beautiful, physical, material picture of how God wants to penetrate our world so that we can penetrate His world. God set it up so that humans could could fellowship with Him. Yet the tabernacle is just a shadow of the pattern of what God perfected in Jesus Christ. You see, because of sin, man and God are enemies until there's been a reconciliation by a sacrifice that satisfies God. What I mean by that is this. Did you ever scratch your head and wonder about Cain and Abel? Did you ever ever wonder about Cain and Abel? I mean, what was the big deal about the difference between how Cain approached God and how Abel approached God? I mean, it's not that Cain was a bad man and Abel was a good man. They were both bad men. It's just that Abel admitted he was bad. And Cain denied the truth and acted like a good man. Abel brought the sacrifice of one of the the sheep from the flock. Lifeblood was sacrificed. In Hebrews it says that without the sacrifice of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Cain instead approached God with his work as an offering. Abel came to God instead in humility, offering a sacrifice, and, and in his heart saying, I'm not worthy. Cain didn't please God, not because he was worse than Abel, but because he assumed that he was all right when he was all wrong. God's goal is fellowship with us, but it can't be without sacrifice. God's goal is fellowship with us, but it can't be without sacrifice. Well, God decided to help future people like Cain to try and to get it. So God set up this tabernacle system uh, to pave the way for the coming of the Son. The book of Hebrews explains how the tabernacle points to Jesus. So let me just briefly talk a little bit about the tabernacle and how it was set up. In the tabernacle, there was an outer courtyard. Anybody could go into that outer courtyard, even those who weren't Israelites, who weren't in a covenant relationship with God. They could worship God from that place in the outer courts. Now past the outer courtyard into an inner courtyard was where there were two objects that couldn't be ignored. When you went from the outer court 
through a, a, a walled curtain into the inner court, there was an altar where animals were sacrificed for sins and they were burnt up. And beyond the altar, beyond that place where sacrifice was made, was what was called the laver. And it was a basin filled with water where priests would wash after they had sacrificed. And then they would go into the tabernacle's holy place. In the holy place is, is the next part in the journey, into the tabernacle. But in the, in the holy place within the tabernacle were three objects. There was a lampstand fueled with oil that constantly gave light. It was to always burn. And then there was also a gilded table on the other side with 12 loaves of fresh bread on it each day. And then in front of the way, in front of the curtain that would lead into the most holy place or the Holy of Holies was an altar, a small altar of incense where it burned scented oils constantly. Each day, the priest entered into that holy place to maintain the oil so the light would burn constantly. They took the old bread and replaced it with fresh. They offered new incense. Each day, they would sacrifice an animal before they entered to do their maintenance there in the holy place because this curtain-off holy place was right next to the most holy place or the holy of holies where God allowed His presence to dwell. No priest ever entered the most holy place except the high priest once a year. In fact, there's, there's still a, a thing on our calendars. Every once in a while you'll see it on a calendar where uh, it says the Day of Atonement. It's a Jewish holiday, uh, Yom Kippur. And, uh, and so it's, it's there on the calendar uh, and that's a marking of what that high priest did year after year. Even though there is no temple any longer, it's been destroyed, uh, the Jewish people still honor that day and remember it. And so that one time a year, the priest came in with a basin of blood to sprinkle before the Ark of the Covenant, part of a sacrifice offering God required for the forgiveness of sins for the whole Israelite people. It was, it was a, a large moment, and it was, it was also a reminder to say that God was in a covenant relationship with the people of Israel. And it was there in this most holy place above the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was just this beautiful, intricately uh, carved box with, with uh, a lid on it that had two angels facing each other, with the wings touching. And, and inside it was the, the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments and uh, Aaron's rod that had budded was also put in there, and some loaves of manna were put in jars. And so these things were inside the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, and on top was this place on the lid that was called the mercy seat. And it was there that God would meet with the high priests. And it was a, a shaky thing for these high priests because they knew there had been priests before them who had decided to test the boundaries and not treat God as holy and set apart or to approach God without sacrifice. And these men were struck down. The high priest, they dressed in a robe that was made by God's design. He told specifically how the robe was to be made and, and what was to be worn on top of that robe. And even this robe was sprinkled with blood from sacrifice. It was a beautiful thing, but then they would take blood and splatter it 
with the high priest, when he walked into the presence of the Lord, he knew he was only standing alive because of the sacrifice of blood commanded by God's word. So that, that was the system God set up to point to Jesus. And, and on the other days of the year was when people would go to the, that, that there was the outer court and then the inner court where the altar was, and they would make their sacrifices there for sins that they had committed or also gifts and offerings that they bring to that place. And that was the system that God set up to point to Jesus, a system that required sacrifices to be offered continually for every sin. And for a human high priest to represent the people, he also had to to sacrifice for his own sin before representing the people in God's presence. So fast forward from that to today. Jesus, our personal guide, our high priest, has an indestructible life and perfect life. He can intercede for us forever. And he doesn't have to offer sacrifice for his own sins. He's not only the high priest, but he's also the sacrifice, the perfect lamb, the sacrifice that only has to be offered once for all sins. Once. When Jesus offered himself on the cross, the gospel account tells us that the veil, the veil in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from from the rest of the temple, it was torn in two from the top to the bottom. This is a curtain that's, that's probably 30 to 50 feet high. And so why is it recorded that it was torn from top to bottom? Because no man could have reached the height and torn it with his bare hands. It would be physically impossible. It was to show that this was done by God. God rent the temple veil from top to bottom so that we don't have to be shut out from His presence. It used to be only the high priest, but now everyone who believes in the sacrifice of Christ can go into His presence. God's realized, manifest, enjoyed presence can be the precious treasure of all born-again children of God. And what the book of Hebrews tries to tell us over and over is that we don't have to be shaky, afraid to enter into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. We don't have to tremble thinking our destruction is near, but instead we can go with confidence. We are told to hold firmly to our faith in His sacrifice and approach the throne of grace with confidence. Hebrews 4.16 says, God has made a way for us to draw near. We can get close. We can get close now. Yet, some who have been given this amazing gift through Jesus to fellowship with God refuse to draw near, to come into His presence, to come to His face. You know what they do? They sew the veil back up. They sew the veil back up. And like a foolish high priest, they refuse to to put on the robe of righteousness to go in there. Like Cain, they sometimes ignore or deny who they are and where they're at. You know, somehow self has gotten in the way again in those instances. Self-love, self-pity, self-trust. 
Maybe, maybe we're, we get a little shaky with who we are. We get scared. Well, you know, I really screwed up, you know, a lot. And so I, I just don't, I don't think I could come to God because I, I need to clean myself up first before I go into God's presence. That's self-trust. It's not trusting what Jesus has done, saying, no, Jesus, I, I talked to you about this. I know that you've forgiven me. I know that your blood covers me. I can walk into your presence. I don't have to run. I can be with you. Self-trust, self-admiration, self-content, self-righteousness. And so they sew up the veil that God tore down. They sew up a veil of their own flesh nature. There's a man named uh, Francois Fenelon, a man of God who lived in the 1600s, and he wrote this. He said, Cut and tear and burn and destroy and spare nothing of the old flesh of the old veil. Take it back down. Tear it down. Is this the case for any of us? Are you in a marriage relationship with God, but you're not in fellowship with Him? You, you got your back turned. You're, you're not looking at each other in the eyes. Is it because you don't take your sin seriously, not seeing how it keeps you from seeking His face? There was, there was a moment like that for me. I, I was uh, 16 years old and had been following the Lord for about two years. Um, but that year, my 16th year, I, I, with my girlfriend, I began sinning sexually. I, I still went to church, still read my Bible, still prayed every day. Uh, there were times, though, there were times when I ignored my sin and the conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, Shannon, I set you apart. Your temple is, is a vessel of the Lord to be used for noble things, not ignoble things. I want you to wait for this until you're married. And he, I would ignore. I would ignore what the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit was telling me. I knew he called me to be set apart. And for a year and a half, I kept that up, not realizing how there was something I was missing. There was something I was missing during that time. It wasn't that I was out of relationship with Jesus Christ. I still had relationship with him. He, he was still my Lord and my Savior. He still loved me. But others saw it in me. Others around me. They saw it before I did. They did What's wrong, Shannon? What's going on? And I wouldn't say a word. I, did, I didn't tell. I knew immediately when they said it. I knew what. I knew God had prompted them to come and talk to me. I knew it. But when I finally was brought to a point where I conceded to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, confessed and sought God's forgiveness for that area in my life, I realized what had been ebbing away in my life. It was the joy of His presence. It was the joy of His face. I was part of the camp of Israelites. God's presence was there. I just didn't go in. I was in the marriage relationship, but I was just not fellowshipping with God. I had my back turned. You know, in using the physical example of the tabernacle, I think there are some who stand in the outer court, the place where everybody can go and worship God. You know, never going into the inner court 
where the altar of sacrifice stands. You know, you're, you're in the Israelite camp. You're in relationship, but you refuse to fellowship by going to the altar. You know, maybe it's shame. Maybe it's a resistance to humility. Maybe, maybe it just kind of freaks you out. I mean, the altar isn't a beautiful place. I mean, it's where priests slaughtered animals. There was blood and gore and flies. It's not a romantic picture. It's not like some of the, maybe the pictures we've seen in picture books about that. It was gross. And the same goes for the cross of Jesus Christ. There is nothing romantic about it. The blood, the sweat, the gruesome mess that is there. But without sacrifice of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no entering into His presence. We stand in the robe of righteousness, which is Christ's blood that we put on. Without it, we can't go in. Without it, you can't come with confidence. It's His sacrifice that removes our shame. And whenever we remember our past sins, when we look back, we remember with grace. Grace covers it. And we look back and, and, and when we think of those past sins, we come to God and it's a thankfulness. It's not a shame. It's like, oh, thank you, God, for wiping that out. Thank you for, that's what, who I once was, but that's not who I am now. Thank you. Thank you for the sins that you covered today and yesterday. Lord, your sacrifice is amazing. Thank you. That's how we can enter into His presence with confidence by the blood. When you humble yourself, you will be lifted up. His sacrifice is where we put our confidence. And it's then that we can experience the joy of His presence. You, you can stay in the outer courts and be okay. That's, that's fine. I suppose you can be perfectly content to wait until heaven to enjoy His presence forever. You can do that. But if that's the case, you're going to have to put up with just muted light, stale bread, and odorless incense. Because you now you can go all the way to the Holy of Holies in Jesus Christ. You can go where only priests used to dare to go. You can see the light of the lamp burning. You can smell the fresh bread that's there before the Lord, the incense that goes up before the Lord, you can be there. Or you can go to the outer courts and kind of maybe see through the tent some of that muted light coming through. That odorless incense. The stale bread that comes out, but never the fresh bread that's in. But it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be like that for us. Through the death of His physical body, Jesus brought you into His own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. That is who you are. Because of Jesus Christ, you are holy. Set apart. It's the truth. And we need to stand in that truth. Hebrews 12 describes the difference between the old system of the tabernacle and what we can now have in Jesus Christ. It's, it's described as approaching, approaching two different mountains. Again, we talked about pathway to His presence, that we're on a journey, that we follow Christ. We're not stationary, so we're moving. And in and, and this picture in Hebrews 12, he describes Mount Sinai, 
where the law and the tabernacle system was given. And then on the other side, he describes Mount Zion, the city of God where Jesus reigns. And you see, he explains that in Hebrews 12, we're not going to Mount Sinai. That's not the path we're on, the path into his presence. We're not going to Mount Sinai, a place that couldn't be touched and was covered in darkness and gloom, storm and fire. We're not going to to Sinai where people begged for the voice from heaven to stop and, and Moses said that he trembled with fear. Instead, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells, tells you this. He said, instead, because of this new way opened up for us in Jesus Christ, we're going towards Mount Zion, the city of the living God, where thousands upon thousands of joyful angels are celebrating in God's presence. We're going to Jesus, our mediator, who makes our spirits righteous, and his blood and promise are more sure than any offering that ever came from a fellow named Abel. There might be some of us still thinking that we're heading for Sinai. And like a trembling priest, you're walking walking towards that place. I want you to know, instead, you can be a joyful worshiper who cries out with the angels in the city of God in your presence In your presence is the fullness of joy. I don't want you to miss it. Don't miss it. Because of Jesus Christ, you are holy. Would you guys stand with me right now? I want us to read together from Psalm 27. The psalm of a joyful worshiper going to the presence of God. Starting with verse 8. Let's read this out loud together. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord and be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Amen. Amen. What I'd like us to do, I I want us to... Get in a circle, and I want us to grab hands, and we're going we're gonna to close in prayer together before we go, all right? Hey, I, I just want us to, I, I don't know if you know this little phrase uh, from the course. It just goes like this, but it's, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Lord, thank You that we can come to You, into Your presence, to Your face, through Jesus Christ, Your sacrifice. Thank You 
for the blood of Jesus that wipes out our sin. You forgive, and we can stand holy in your presence just as you are holy. Thank you for being our personal guide, Jesus. We fix our eyes on you. And it's in your great name, the strong name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.